going to try to leave some time for him. This morning I would like to speak for a few minutes about uh, the second chapter of First Peter, where the apostle begins with these words, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Here he tells us that uh, we are to desire uh, the sincere milk of the word, and to do so as newborn babes. We are not to do it as master theologians, nor even as uh, adolescents, but when we go under the word of God, we're to count ourselves as no more than a babe in our understanding. And then he says that in doing this, we should lay aside all malice, all guile, all envies, all evil speaking, which tells me that with Peter, study of the word of God was as much about practice as it is about theory. And it's a sad thing that I've met a lot of people in my life for whom religion was all about theory and didn't have a whole lot to do with practice. I want you to notice here uh, the things he connects with our study of the Word of God. He says, laying aside all guile, hypocrisy, malice, evil speakings. Let us then desire the sincere milk of the Word of God. And he lays two words out there that had to deal with our honesty. He said, let's have no guile. Let's have no hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a big, big problem in the world, and it's a trap into which even Christians can sometimes be caught. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Be on guard against this. And by leaven, he didn't mean this heresy or that, though those are certainly things we want to be aware of. But he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, leading a double life. And it's hard enough to live one life in this world. Why would anybody want to live two? There's a saying that we commonly hear on the news And we've seen this illustrated recently with uh, one of our political leaders here in this country. The saying is that the cover-up is usually worse than the crime. And uh, now we've got a fellow that was once running for president, and he's committed uh, great offenses and then made things even worse by trying to cover it up. And... Uh, numerous times I've seen that in my life that more crime would be committed trying to cover a thing up. The hypocrisy proved to be the ultimate undoing. And I say that really uh, that hypocritical spirit is what motivated the crime to begin with because had he not been willing to cover it up, had he not been willing to lie about it, then he wouldn't have done the wrong thing he did to begin with. Uh, That's the reason that uh, I've said many times that if there were one part of my character I could perfect, it would be to transform myself into a totally truthful person. Because if you're a totally truthful person, it's hard to do other things that are wrong. 
It's hard to be a drunkard without being a liar. Hard to be an adulterer without being a liar. In fact, it's just nigh impossible to do those things. Therefore, uh, Peter puts great emphasis upon this, that we lay aside our guile and hypocrisies, that uh, we should be, as they say in the computer world, wissy-wig. What you see is what you get. And it's always a very shameful thing to, uh, and a humiliating thing, humiliating to the cause, uh, to find that a church member is one thing in public, but a very different thing at home. I have uh, seen many times in my life that where you typically have strong marriages and strong churches, excuse me, strong marriages and strong families, you typically have strong churches. And where you've got strong churches, you'll typically have strong marriages and strong families. And I think one of the reasons for that is that in such churches, what people are on the pew, they're also at home. They're living their Christianity at home. That's the reason they have strong marriages and why they have strong families. Lots of times people get caught into the terrible trap of thinking that God has one set of commandments for me while I'm out in public and he has another set of commandments for dealing with my nearby family. I'd like for you to find me a scripture in the Bible that says that. Some people think it's wrong for me to gossip, and rail against others, except when I'm with my wife or except when I'm with my brothers and sisters. We're just family. We can say whatever we want to say. I'd like for you to find me the scripture uh, that says that. Or there are some people who think that when I'm in public, I'm supposed to act nice, but when I come home, I can start raising cane and browbeating my wife and kids or maybe browbeating my husband and kids. Again, I want to know where is the scripture that comes even close to saying that the laws that God gave apply to all people. They apply at home and they apply when we're away from home. And when uh, Peter here tells us to lay aside all guile and hypocrisies, that's one of the things that he surely means. He said, let's lay aside uh, evil speakings, railing against other people, evil surmisings against other people, so much trouble has been caused by the likes of this. And as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And this scripture tells me that one of the very important parts in my spiritual development, one of the most important contributions to my becoming the kind of person I should be in practice is the Word of God. If I want to be a better person, I need to be studying the Word of God. David said, Psalm 119 verse 11, Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Now if I want to lead a more honest life from this day forward, it's really going to help if I'll remember some of these scriptures in the Bible that talk about the importance of leading an honest life. In fact, if I'll remember this scripture right here, not let it leave my mind. 
that I'm to lay aside all guile and hypocrisies and things like this. That will help me in the forthcoming week to lead a more honest life before the Lord. Uh, If I've got a problem hitting the bottle, then I need to memorize, I need to have in my heart some scriptures that deal with that subject, like wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging, and he who is deceived thereby is not wise. If I'll hide that in my heart, that will grant me strength not to sin against God. Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This text also tells me what is the purpose of the word of God. It's for my growth. It's like milk. Now, milk never gave a baby life. Uh, never in the history of the world has milk ever done a dead baby any good. But if a baby is alive, milk's the best thing you can give him, you see. And that's what we, old Baptists, have been teaching for years and years about the Word of God. If a man is dead and trespasses and sins, uh, the Word cannot make him alive. But if he's alive, the Word is the very best food that you can feed him. He says, to whom coming... As unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now, the reason I read uh, so many verses just then, I wanted you to see how many times that Peter describes Jesus as the rock or the stone. Uh, He's the cornerstone. Uh, He is also the stumbling stone. And uh, I believe it's around four times there he refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as being uh, the rock, the stone. And the reason that's important to me is that it settles a controversy about Matthew chapter 16, around verse 16, where Jesus said to Peter, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, I've been saying for years that Jesus was referring to himself when he said, upon this rock I'll build my church. Some people say, no, it wasn't uh, himself he was referring to, but he was referring to Peter, who they say was the first pope. Hence, he's the rock upon which the church was built. So I say the way I'll settle that is I'll go ask Peter, who would be more qualified to know what Jesus meant other than Jesus himself, So I'll just go ask Peter what it meant, and he just told you what it meant over and over again uh, in the verses I just read. He said, Jesus is the rock. 
Jesus is the stone. He is the chief cornerstone. And he says that we're little bricks in the wall. And all these together make up God's spiritual temple. When you get over into the book of Zechariah, you'll see much written there about this spiritual house that Jesus would build. In the times in which the book of Zechariah was written, they were actually building a stone house. They were building the second temple. And this prophet gives numerous prophecies about uh, this building and its completion. Prophecies that greatly encouraged the people. They were having much resistance, yet Zechariah was telling them this house will be completed. But as you read these prophecies, many of them seem to say, in fact, nearly all of them seem to say, a little too much for that old rock house that they built back then. That old rock house back then was serving as its type or a shadow of a greater house that was to be built years later by the Lord Jesus' house. Not a rock house, but a spiritual house. Whereof he was to be the first stone, the cornerstone. And the apostles would be the foundation stones. And you and I would be little bricks in the wall. And then finally this uh, prophecy of Zechariah in his fourth chapter. Speaks of the headstone. That would be put upon this house. And it said when that headstone is put in place. There'll be great cryings and shoutings of rejoicings. Grace, grace be unto it. The building is complete. And uh, I've always believed that the first stone, the cornerstone, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last stone, the headstone, will be the Lord Jesus Christ. That cornerstone was his first coming. The headstone will be the last stone to be put in place. That will happen when Jesus returns. And when it happens, there's going to be joy in the family of God, such as your mind cannot comprehend. And they won't be shouting works, works unto it. They'll be shouting grace, grace uh, unto it. Now, this spiritual house is what Peter is telling us about, of which Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, he said Jesus is to the Jew and many others a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed, not that they were appointed to be disobedient, but they were appointed to stumble at the word. It was in the purpose of God that the Jewish people would fall into blindness as a result of their rebellion against God, and as, their, and as a result of their rebellion against his word. All right, he says in next verse, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That verse is one of scores and scores of scriptures in the Bible uh, that give me good reason to be a hard shell Baptist. 
I've said many times and I've thought it more times than I've said it that I'm sure thankful I'm not trying to preach works doctrine or Arminian doctrine because that would be just entirely more work than I would want. If I were preaching Arminian doctrine and preaching through the Bible as I commonly do, uh, I think I'd be up here in a sweat about half the time trying to figure out workarounds and fix-ups, how to get around this scripture and that, and be sure the Bible is just filled with them. Things work so much easier when you got the truth. Things work so much easier in the Bible uh, when you believe in the doctrines of grace. And this verse is case in point. He says, but you are a chosen generation. Now, he didn't say, but you are an obedient generation, but you are a submissive generation, but you are a studious generation. He didn't say that. He said, these others now, they're disobedient. And uh, they have stumbled at the word. But you have been obedient. You have been studious. You have been submissive. He didn't say that. He said, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You come from a royal bloodline is what that say. You're a peculiar people. And you know, peculiar can have different meanings, but there's one thing it cannot mean. It cannot mean everybody. Everybody can't be peculiar, you see. Uh, if, if Jesus came into the world to redeem unto himself a peculiar people, he could not have come into the world to redeem everybody. There is no way you can make the word peculiar mean everybody. All right, now he says you're a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness. Now, where were you? You were in darkness, right? He didn't call you because you were in light. He called you when you were in darkness. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm in the light as a result of his choice and as a result of his call. Is that hard to understand? Oh, anyone who resists that is kicking against the pricks. That's the plain teachings of the Word of God. And I would to God that all men believed it. You are a chosen uh, people. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now listen to this. He says, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Many people, when they read that text, and again the text says, in times past you were not a people. Uh, when that text is read, many people, including Bible scholars, will say, here he's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking to Gentiles. In fact, uh, I was reading my, one of my favorite commentaries not long ago. And uh, in that commentary, the man, smart though he was, in my opinion, fumbled the ball on this scripture. He said, this scripture makes it clear that Peter here is writing to Gentiles as well as Jews. Now, I want to tell you the, the evidence all over this book is that P 
Peter is writing to his own people. All over the writings of First and Second Peter, uh, it's evident he's writing principally to his own people. And I'll let you go home and uh, you can read through these books. It won't take more than a few minutes and you'll see in place after place it's clear he is addressing the Jewish people. And when addressing the Jewish people, he said, in times past, you were not a people. And I say that all that is cleared up if you'll go over to Hosea chapter 1. And in Hosea chapter 1, you'll read there where God just had it with Israel. He wrote them off. He said, you'll no longer obtain mercy. You're no longer my people. You're just like the other nations of the world. But then he leaves them with this promise. Uh, Yet one day it will come to pass that in the place where it was said of them, you're not my people, there you should be called the children of the living God. So God wrote them off. And they were no longer a people and they were no longer under his special mercy. But God said one of these days that will be reversed. Now this is what Peter is referring to. No doubt in my mind, he's referring to Hosea chapter 1. Here's one uh, ironic thing about the Apostle Peter. He was perceived as being an ignorant and unlearned man. Yet, judging from what is written, we'd have to say that Peter was at least as well uh, versed in the Bible as any other scriptural writer. Now, I'm not going to say he was more so. But Peter is so well educated in the Word of God that almost anywhere this man is preaching, almost anywhere we're reading after his words, he is either quoting a scripture or he is alluding to or expounding upon some scripture. And there's some scripture in mind here, and I say it's very obviously Hosea chapter 1 verse 10. He said, you were written off, but now you're back. You're in the favor and graces of God. How is it that the Jew overcame the rejection that Hosea chapter 1 spoke of? These overcame it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And be sure of this, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only road back for the Jew. No No other way to God's favor than through the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way for you except through the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's lay aside all hypocrisies and envies, guile. Let's desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby and give honor to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I hope that when you read these exhortations in the Bible to be sincere seekers of the word, to hunger for it, that these are not merely for preachers. These for all people. We all need to be students uh, of the Word of God. This morning, uh, and I'll close with these uh, remarks, and we'll ask Brother Andrew to come forward this morning. I was thinking about uh, our friend who was recently uh, who recently died and was buried yesterday, Brother Alfred Coffin, who I think is going to be a primitive Baptist legend and should be even if he isn't. Uh, Brother Alfred Cothran was a very interesting man, and you could uh, hear all the alligator and snake and fishing, 
fishing and hunting stories you wanted out of Alfred. In fact, he was even written up in sports magazines because of his interesting life. But if you really knew Alfred, all that stuff was just bait. All that stuff was just attention getters. Uh, he used those things to get your attention, but the hook was to catch you concerning the Word of God. And I'm going to uh, commit more thought to this. Uh, but I and another person in, a few days ago were counting up all of the primitive Baptist preachers that we think were converted largely through the influence of Alfred Cawthon. We came up with four. Here's, here's a man that's not a preacher, but he was so well versed in the Word of God that he served to convert I'm going to say four men. And, of course, I'm not going to attribute it all to Alfred, but I'm going to say that uh, Alfred was what the Lord used principally to lead these men to the truth. All right, now, uh, me up here, I was born in the Old Baptist Church. But it wasn't a preacher that made me a preacher. Uh, I trust it was the Lord, but he used an Old Baptist deacon to do it. Uh, And this Old Baptist deacon just was constantly wanting to discuss the Word of God with me and ask questions of me. And uh, they started putting me in the pulpit in those days, and really I wanted them to leave me alone. I wanted to be an econometrician, not a preacher. But I thought, I don't want to disappoint old Tom because he's hungry and he's been reading the Bible. He's filled with questions, so I better study the book here to make sure that he's not disappointed. And uh, by such motivations, uh, I was driven to where I am today. Uh, when Peter tells us to desire the sincere milk of the word, that didn't just mean the preachers, that means all of us. And then surely he means all of us when he tells us to live by it, that we may give honor to the great rock, to Jesus Christ. And remember, he's the rock in this respect, too. He's the only rock you can build your house on, and it will stand. You build it anywhere else, you've got it on sand. God bless you, Brother Andrew. Come forward and tell us what you have on your mind. We're so thankful you're here.